evidence and answers. Tune to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Each week, Pat and his guests provide compelling answers to today's top questions. In part one of this broadcast, Pat will be interviewing Dr. Stuart Kelly and discussing postmodernism and how we are to understand its effects today. If you're unable to hear this entire broadcast. All of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Here's our host now, Dr. Pat Zucran, with his guest, Dr. Stuart Kelly, with part one of this interview. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith in Christ and biblical answers to the issues of today. Well, you've probably been hearing this term for a while, postmodernism. What does this mean, and what implications does it have for our culture, the church, and how Christians engage the culture today? What is postmodernism, and how did it develop? Well, with us today is a man who has co-authored a great book on this topic titled Understanding Postmodernism. We have with us Dr. Stuart Kelly. Dr. Kelly received his Ph.D. from the University of Notre Dame and is currently a professor of philosophy at Minot State University. So, Dr. Kelly, welcome to Evidence and Answers. Thank you very much. By the way, those of us here in Hawaii and those listening in the Pacific know where the University of Notre Dame is, your alma mater there. But where is Minot State University? It is in uh, northwestern North Dakota, about an hour from Canada and also about an hour from uh, Montana. And there's a very large Air Force base. Uh, nearby, um, known for its uh, B-52 bombers. Oh, okay. Well, how'd you end up there from uh, Notre Dame? Uh, the short version is I applied to a lot of places, and uh, they had a job opening. My wife and I came out here, and uh, we've loved it here. So we've we've been here 30 years. Fantastic. All right, well... Let's talk about postmodernism, but before we do that, let's set up uh, the context here. Walk us through a brief history of Western civilization. Before we get to postmodernism, tell us about the pre-modern era first. The pre-modern would would, uh, um, apply pretty much to anything before about 1600 A.D., so it would include early Christianity and uh, the Middle Ages and then also the time period known as the Renaissance. The modern time period starts in the early 1600s in philosophy with the, the French philosopher uh, René Descartes. And then that worldview um, of modernism, or the Enlightenment as it's sometimes called, runs all the way up until 1800 and beyond in terms of its influence. Postmodernism is initially largely a response to modernism and to the the main claims of of the Enlightenment. Yes. Now, I guess the dominant worldview of the pre-modern era, we would say, would be theism, a belief in a God who created the universe. And then in the modern era, the worldview shifts. Tell us about that worldview shift. There are a lot of thinkers who uh, still hold to belief in God and many to traditional Christianity. 
but there's also the rise of a lot of thinkers who begin to have doubts about things like uh, miracles and the supernatural and begin to have questions about traditional Christianity. John Locke, the great British thinker in the late 1600s, begins his career as a a sort of a, a... traditional Christian, but by the end of his career, he's, he rejects the divinity of Jesus and, and moves away from the doctrine of the Trinity. Yes, folks, we're going to be talking a lot here, you know, throwing around philosophical terms and talking some deep philosophy here, but don't be intimidated. We'll make it as easy as possible. These are some very important concepts to understand regarding the ideas of the culture that surround us today. All right, so Dr. Kelly... What do we mean by modernism, and what are the basic tenets of modernism or the modern era? Modernism is the worldview of the, the European and the American Enlightenment and would have been the dominant view from about 1650 up until 1800 and later. And they have a lot of confidence in human reason and modern science. But they also begin to have some doubts about whether supernatural events or miracles are possible, and many begin to have doubts about traditional Christianity. Now, you mentioned in your book some of the key thinkers of the modern era, which begin with the Enlightenment thinkers in about the 1600s. Tell us about some of those key influential thinkers of the modern era and how they shaped the culture of that time. Two of the big names, uh, one is French, and his name is René Descartes, uh, D-E-S-C-A-R-T-E-S. And Descartes was a believing Catholic, but he wanted to show that reason supported belief in God, and he, he separates human reason from God's revelation in Scripture. So the idea is, He'll believe in God as long as human reason supports it. Later thinkers pick up on that and agree with his approach, but they do not agree that human reason supports belief in God. So he makes human reason autonomous, and he opens the door for people to to think it's unreasonable to believe that God exists by appealing to reason. And then John Locke, who's a British philosopher, And from where we get the idea, by the way, of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, uh, the Founding Fathers took from Locke. Locke uh, grew up in a conservative um, evangelical Christian home, or a conservative Christian home. But by the end of his career, around 1700, he had doubts about whether Jesus was the divine second person of the Trinity, And he didn't write about that much in print because it would have gotten him in a lot of trouble. But uh, he opens the door for right around 1700 is when Unitarianism, the belief that only God the Father is divine, begins to sort of take off in England. And Locke, unfortunately, is sort of one of the founding fathers of modern Unitarianism. Yes, so in the modern era, there's a tremendous amount of optimism and confidence in human reason and in science, which really begins to displace Christianity and divine revelation 
and the theistic worldview from its dominance. Isn't that correct? Uh, yes, it is. The early scientists were generally traditional Christians, but as science develops over the time period, Isaac Newton, for example, like Locke, starts off his career believing in the Trinity, but he too questions the divinity of Jesus toward the end of his life. And so the optimism of the modernist thinkers is that reason and science would lead us to a type of, I don't know what to say, a utopia or ideal society in which, you know, hunger would be defeated, there would be no more wars, and, you know, human reason and science would kind of lead the way. Yes, it's a very optimistic view. Locke, for example, rejects the idea of original sin, that Adam sinned and that infected all of humanity. And he thought that was somehow unfair. So he he begins, he rejects the idea that humans are born sinful before God and replaces it with a much more optimistic view. And as you pointed out, there, there was a hope for a uh, greatly improved society where hunger and disease and war and, and many such things would be a thing of the past. And I believe there was a confidence in human reason and science that they became the measures of truth. They are the means by which we discover truth, not any kind of divine revelation or anything like that. That's correct. The move toward what might be called independent or, or autonomous human reason. And so we see, you know, the modernist ideas beginning to, I believe, dominate every major, you know, kind of thinking in the culture of that time. Um, that's the development of Sigmund Freud, who gave us a new understanding of human anthropology. Uh, Charles Darwin took the sciences more in a uh, naturalist or atheistic uh, worldview. You got Karl Marx who develop understanding of sociology and economics apart from God. So we see these great thinkers really dominating the modern era in every facet of the culture and ideology. Isn't that right? Uh, yes, it is. When you read Freud and Marx and Darwin uh, or the German thinker uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, they're all very influential on European culture and also uh, very much secular. They, they've all turned away from, not only from Christianity, but from belief in God in general. That's part of the reason that modern-day Europe is as secular as it is, is the influence of um, those four individuals. Yes. Now, I think that's a very important point for people to understand, and understanding, you know, the great cathedrals and great theologians come from Europe, and now you go there, and those you know, cathedrals are now empty, and it's a very secular society. It made me wonder, how did that take place? And I think your book gives a great summary of how the culture there shifted from a strong theistic worldview and belief in God and Christianity being dominant to now it being really a secular society. And, and the roots of it, you can see, in the Enlightenment era, or as the ideas of modernism swept through the West. Isn't that right? Yes, and then besides those four thinkers, uh, World War One and World War Two also have a devastating effect on the culture of Europe. So the optimism that many people had going into the 20th century is, is wiped out 
by the the staggering casualties of World War One and then World War Two. So you get people like William Golding, who wrote Lord of the Flies in the 1950s, which in many ways is turning back to a to a Christian view of things. Golding has lost the optimism that many people had at the beginning of the 20th century. That was my next question. When did the modern era end? I mean, there's several dates that historians have, you know, referred to. But when did the modern era end, and how did it come to an end? You mentioned a little bit of how the optimism in human reason and science and, and human goodness came to an end in World War One and Two. But, you know, when is the end of modernism, and, and how did that come to an end? World War One and World War Two sort of set the stage. The use of the, the atomic bomb in war by, by the U.S., you know, at the end of World War Two showed many people that science could be used in wartime and and wasn't necessarily a a neutral weapon, but many people point to the year 1968 as sort of the death throes of modernism. You have the the war in Vietnam, sort of center stage in the U.S. 68, you see the assassination of Dr. King and Robert Kennedy, and uh, France has massive demonstrations in Paris and a turn away from sort of a lot of uh, views that were popular up until that time. And so uh, many date postmodernism as really originating in, in the events of 1968 and uh, moving forward from there. Yeah, so that begins about the birth of what we call postmodernism, where we see a significant shift in the ideology that dominates the culture as the ideas of the modern era seem to come to an end and people realize their shortcomings or, I guess, their failures in delivering upon its promises. Yes, I think that's very much accurate, and there's a move away from the traditional views and a general skepticism about whether there uh, are any views uh, still out there that would give us any kind of um, hope or confidence about about the human future. Now, who would you say, you know, if, if this, I don't know if this is a fair question, who, who would you say would you attribute to be the father of postmodernism? I have names from... Immanuel Kant, dominant philosopher who said we could not know reality. We have the father of skepticism, Rene Descartes, who you talked about. Others say it was Friedrich Nietzsche uh, who made that famous statement, God is dead. Is there a person you like to point to and say this this man could probably be the one we call the father of postmodernism? I would probably take everybody on your list and and add a few more. Kant is certainly uh, very skeptical and very influential. Nietzsche, I think many scholars think he, by God is dead, he means that God isn't even relevant anymore. So no longer does it matter whether or not God exists. And we modern humans sort of need to construct our own view of the world and create a hope for the future. And then there's some there, there's some 20th century thinkers, Michael Foucault, who um, French in the last um, 60 years, and another French 
thinker named Jacques Derrida who loses confidence in, in human language and its ability to sort of connect with reality. So Descartes, Kant, Nietzsche, Foucault, and Derrida would, uh, would get you off to a pretty, pretty good start for the heroes of uh, postmodernism. Yes, okay. So we walked through the pre-modern era, the modern era. So what do we mean when we say postmodernism? Well, in our book, we claim that at least about 10 main claims, so I'm just going to pick two or three here to focus on. They move from having a tremendous confidence in human reason that you see in Descartes and early modern science, and some of the more radical postmoderns, the American philosopher Richard Rorty, for example, no longer think that there's such a thing as truth or what's sometimes called objective truth. And they give up on our ability to know anything truthfully about the world. And Rorty started his career teaching philosophy at Princeton. And by the end of his career, he was teaching comparative literature because all we're left with is what might be called local stories about this culture or that culture. But there aren't any big stories or what are sometimes called meta-narratives, such as Christianity or Marxism, for example. We no longer have the ability to know that any of these big stories are true. So we're not left with a whole lot and uh, just lots of people and lots of local stories and no truth as it was traditionally understood. Not sure if I got this sentence from your book or a previous book I read, but many postmodernists say that uh, the definition of postmodernism, you know, it's, it's difficult to summarize in one sentence, but if, if they could, they say, uh, we believe there's no all-embracing meta-narrative or big story you know, that holds the picture of reality together, as you mentioned. In other words, there's no basic all-embracing framework that puts the world together for us. You know, let me give you, listeners, an example. As Christians, we believe there is a God. And so, you know, when it comes to the sciences, they point to an intelligent designer and that language and truth originate with God that are understanding of human nature is that we're made in the image of God. So the story of creation, fall, and redemption is our all-embracing big story that holds our reality together. And postmodernists say there is no, as you stated, meta-narrative or big story that holds the picture of reality together for us. Would you agree with that definition? Yes, I would very much. They turn away from Christianity and from what might be seen as alternatives, things like Marxism or other versions of humanism that aren't Marxist or people who put sort of their trust in modern science, even other religions such as Buddhism or Islam. So we no longer have the ability to know any of those big stories or meta-narratives and what we're left with is not much. It's pretty bleak in that sense. You stated, you know, several tenets of postmodernism in your book. Great book summarizing the basic tenets of postmodernism. If you want to understand, you know, the thinking of our culture today, the book that Dr. Kelly and his 
partner James Dew wrote, uh, Understanding Postmodernism, is a, a fantastic book here. Now, one of the tenets you state is that really in postmodernism, there is not the ability to really define objective and universal truth. You know, no ability to know any truth about the world around us. How did we come to that conclusion? That's a very good question. It's not one that's easily answered. <laughs> Part of what's going on, I mean, there's a modern-day American philosopher named John Searle, S-E-A-R-L-E, and he's a very good philosopher. He's also an atheist. And he asks the question, why with anyone with any common sense or wisdom or intelligence deny the existence of what we might call objective reality or an external reality or deny the existence of truth? And Searle says something very interesting. He suggests that he doesn't think that a lot of modern thinkers want to be accountable to a reality outside themselves. And I would suggest that lines up very, very well with the biblical idea of sin and that we don't want to be accountable to God or to anything that might say how we're living or what we're thinking is somehow wrong or mistaken. So a lot of it, I think, is basically people wanting to believe what they want to believe and going from there. It's human sin sort of presenting itself in, in, a, in sort of a modern or this, a, a postmodern form. Yes. Uh, one thing you stated there is that uh, we really cannot know the truth about reality. And, you know, the definition of truth is telling it like it is, the facts, what conforms to reality or the real world around us. And postmodernism, as you state, believes that you really cannot know the true world around you or reality. If you can't know reality or the world around you, really you, you can't have an objective, universal definition of truth. I, am I on target there in my uh, understanding of postmodernism and their definition of truth? Yes, you are. In the late 1930s in France, two prominent French thinkers were uh, Jean-Paul Sartre S-A-R-T-R-E, and, and Albert Camus, they rejected a lot of traditional values, but when um, Hitler and the Nazis invaded France, they both realized that they had to admit that there were certain standards in order to condemn Hitler. And by the end of World War II, both Sartre and Camus moved away from their views in the 1930s that there were basically no standards. Hitler, in some sense, made them see that some things are simply wrong and we humans need to stand against them. Yeah, so how did we get to the point, you know, in modernity or in modernism, they were very confident that they had a good understanding of truth or the real world around us. But in postmodernism, they say you can't know truth because you can't know reality. How did we get to that point? Some of it is under the influence of people like Kant and Nietzsche who had genuine uh, doubts about our ability to know things. Some of it is a reaction to the awareness or the increasing knowledge that many societies uh, in Europe, for example, tended to oppress or treat badly uh, many groups of people, ranging from women to people from African descent to Jews and so forth. 
And so they began to have doubts as to whether there were any worldviews or big stories or meta-narratives that, uh, that treated all human beings well. And rather than keeping the good and throwing out the bad, they sort of, they, many of them sort of threw out the baby with the bathwater, as the expression goes. They threw out everything. Once again, our time has come to a close. We're so thankful that you've joined us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold a conference, please give us a call. That's 4830586. Or you may contact him through our Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. To keep this broadcast on the air, you have the opportunity to donate. Head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles, additional audio, as well as Pat's books. Be sure to share our website with your family, your friends, and your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Oh, 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 oh,